everybody. Welcome to the sixth episode of Talk on Tech. I am Patrick Smith. And I'm Josh Joseph. And we are here to guide you through the intricacies of all things information technology-based and Mount West. Later today, we'll be talking with Rhonda Scragg, which is a professor here at Mount West. She'll be talking about our internship program, as well as uh, our IT150 Applications to Spreadsheet uh, class she teaches, which is on Excel and and uh, all things Excel, spreadsheet, and pivot tables based. But first, before we get to anything else, we have a couple reminders for our students. We're now officially in week nine of classes, so hopefully if you had a second eight weeks course, you've gone to class. If not, you may be in a world of hurt. Um, your financial aid does rely on you showing up for the first day of class or else you don't always get paid. So, But we're now in the... Uh, like I say, the ninth week, and some things to keep in mind on the horizon. March 16th is the last day to drop an individual course. March 16th is also the last day to apply for May graduation. Remember, I've said before, if you miss that day, it's not the end of the world because you could go ahead and apply for summer graduation. Just do not put on a resume that you've graduated from Mount West until you've actually gotten your diploma because that can be construed as... Um, resume fraud basically i have heard of people actually being taken to court over those type of things it's pretty crazy it's pretty crazy but i mean it's a small little thing yeah. you, you're totally going to graduate in the summer but just it's make just sure a couple you have months a, difference i don't see what yeah. the big deal is but i mean technically it's it's fraudulent to yeah, put on there. no i mean like for you to put it on there right. i don't see what the big right. deal is just put right. it on there right the first time so after uh, march 16th though we get our one week of spring break that cannot get here soon enough. Can't wait to be able to relax for a little while. And um, something also to keep on the horizon, April 2nd. That's going to be the first day you can have for advanced registration for summer classes. Now, our summer selection is going to be a bit limited this summer because we are moving to our new location off of 5th Street Hill. Um, so I-64, exit 8, I believe, will be on top of the hill so most of the classes this summer are going to be limited to web classes. But keep that in mind because you can always go ahead and take some classes during the summer and help cut down on possibly not having to be here full-time for a full two years. So that's always possible. Yeah. So those are our announcements for today. Um, now we're going to get into some of our articles. Uh, first, I do have an article, but also a more of an experience to talk to you about, Josh. Um, I've mentioned it on here previously, but uh, I am, I'm a pretty big Mac guy. Okay. I have a lot of apples at the house. And uh, I've got a new machine that's a Mac Pro. It came with the newest uh, Apple operating system, which is called Lion. The problem is, uh, with the newest version of Lion, they don't give you a DVD. Yep. And everything is downloaded offline. And so my thing was, when I got my new machine... I wanted to have it backed up in some way, shape, mm -hmm. or form. I mean, I'm just one of those networking people that I want to have media, yeah. either on a USB drive or on a DVD. And so uh, this last weekend, I went ahead going about making myself a bootable Lion installation drive. Okay. And it was not the easiest thing in the world. I mean, technically, I could have gone ahead and I think shelled out um, about 30 bucks to get a USB drive sent to me. But I'd already shelled out a lot of money on the Mac Pro and at that point I was no thinking I was <laughs> oh yeah there's no way I was going to shell even more money just to get the operating system not if I had this way yeah so I found an article on Macworld which is a, a PC World's partner sister company if you will 
And so basically what I had to do on the newer Macintoshes that come out, uh, they're all Intel-based now. They have been since about 2001. But on the newer Macs, the way it works is there's a partition on them, very similar to the partition they give you on a Windows 7 machine, the 100-meg okay. partition. Yeah. So they've actually taken a little bit, little bit larger, sizable chunk. On that separate partition, they call it the recovery partition. Okay, yeah. You have the ability that when you're booting your machine, you can hold down the Apple key, uh, which kind of on a Windows keyboard would be the Windows key, basically. Yeah. It's a very weird-looking symbol. I can't even explain. It's weird. It looks like it's a, it's a square with uh, circles attached to every little corner yeah. of the square. Okay. It's, it's definitely unique to an Apple keyboard. But you hold down Apple R, R for recovery, and I was able to boot the machine into a recovery mode. And the idea would have been if for some reason my hard drive would have been wiped out or I had to reinstall, okay. I could go ahead and boot into this recovery mode and reinstall the operating system. Okay. The problem is I, I needed to clean off a USB drive. Most USB drives are formatted with FAT16 or FAT32, mm-hmm. and that's not what, what a Mac was going to do. My goal was to download the operating system I needed to install onto a USB drive, okay. not actually touch my original hard drive because my original hard drive was already perfect. Yeah. But I wanted to backup copy. And so I had to go ahead and take one of my 16 gigs, format it as a Mac Journal Extended. Okay. Got that formatted, rebooted the machine, folded it, and basically told it I was going to install onto my USB drive. And then that's where the slow part came in because it didn't already have the file downloaded to my computer. And so basically what happened is it started going out to the Internet and downloading the installation. And uh, ultimately overall, I think it ended up being about a a 4.5 gig installation file. But I have DSL, and I guess I'm not as close to the the local switch as oh, I'd like to be. Yeah. So I, I'm I usually get about 1.544. So I get right at like T1 speed, but uh, T1 speed for a four gig file takes forever. The thing that was really unfortunate, I attempted it the previous weekend, but uh, when you leave the USB drive in, it starts saying there's going to be 10 hours, and then it ticks down to five and seven hours, and you never really know what's going to be done. What happens is you've already told it to install on that drive. You've already set everything in motion. Okay. And so if you're not sitting there watching it, waiting for it to reboot, when it reboots, it's much like a computer that might have been sysprepped. If you don't catch it on the reboot, it will start actually installing. And so the previous weekend, I screwed up. I went to the other room to play some Final Fantasy 13 2 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it rebooted on me. When I came back in, it was it was it the was... actual installation. And so I, I lost my chance to get the file because the file had basically uncompressed, and I needed the compressed file. So this time I sat back there, and I watched, and, it, and luckily I caught it. And so during the reboot, I had to quickly pull out the USB drive before it booted. But now at this point, I have um, a DMG file, and in the Mac world, a DMG file would be like an ISO file or okay. a VHD file in the PC world. It's an image you can mount. You can even add more things to it and close it back up. But it's it's like being able to make a, a portable CD image, basically. Okay. And so now with this file, I'm able to take it and apply it to a USB drive to now make a bootable Lion uh, USB. Or I can apply it to a DVD and make a copy of Lion that I can easily install, which is great because... It used to be that Apple allowed you to buy either the operating system for something like, uh, let's say 79 bucks is what it was for a full installation. They allowed that, or you could buy a family pack. Okay. And the family pack was like 130 bucks. 
So you paid about twice as much money, mm-hmm. but it gave you five licenses. Oh. So I would usually buy that because my dad's got a Mac. Uh, I usually had at least two, maybe a laptop in there. Uh, my girlfriend had one. So I definitely wanted to go ahead and have all my licenses covered. I would buy the installation. Now with Lion, you just buy a $30 one, and you have to do it through the Mac App Store oh, if you true. don't already have it installed. Okay. Or I could buy like the $80 USB online, and I didn't want to pay the 80 bucks for the USB. So this way when you download it, there's, there is no uh, family pack whatsoever. So I, I guess logistically I can put it back on my Mac or put it on someone else's Mac if I have to because they haven't given me an option to go ahead and buy another one. But it just seemed like it was a pain in the butt to go about getting them. And I understand the common person is not going to need that. That's one more disk they can lose, one more USB drive that can be misplaced. But for me, as a, as a networking person, I am all about being able to do a network installation. I'm all about being able to push out to multiple machines. So yeah. I want those installation files. Makes sense. So um, yeah, we'll post up to the to the Twitter account the the step by step operation to complete that. But boy, in my case, it took forever. I mean, I I almost wanted to bring it in here to try to speed up the process because it was at least a good four to five hours to download that file and then to be there in the room as it rebooted to quickly pull out that USB drive and capture it. So um, I've only got the file though, so. Uh, I should be good until uh, Mountain Lion comes <laughs> yeah, out, which is Lion. the is the preview they now have out for the new version, which will be um, this summer. Ten point eight. I think. I think yeah, yeah, because six was Snow Leopard, seven is Lion. So yeah, ten point eight, and they're saying this summer for it, it's going to have even more features along the lines of uh, the iPad. They're promising. They're promising with Mountain Lion that you'll have the same messages program that we now have on our iPods, iPhones, and iPads, which is awesome because previously they had a program called iChat, which for all intents and purposes was basically AOL Instant Messenger, but for people who had Mac uh, dot com accounts. Now with this, I like the idea that I could send you a text message basically through the through the data plan to your iPhone mm-hmm. from my computer. Right now, if I want to do that, i got to get my iPod or my iPad out. I'd like to have it on my computer as well. So mm-hmm. I think it would be really neat to be able to do uh, MMS-style messages. Just integrating it all into the yeah. new whether I, system Whether I'm now. on a desktop, whether I'm on a laptop, mm-hmm. or whether I'm on a portable device. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Oh, that's pretty so, cool. Yeah, it was just, just a pain in the butt to get it, but <laughs> yeah, I, I finally have it now. a long time to wait, too. Yeah. Um, well, I've got an article here. Um, mm-hmm. News coming out this week. Uh, Yahoo stabs Facebook in the back, says pay for its patents or get sued. Mm, okay. So um, basically what it's saying is um, that Facebook is infringing on 10 to 20 of Yahoo's patents. And it says it's coming out at an interesting time. Uh, what they're, what they're, uh, this article says is Facebook could be forced to license the patents or s- settle with Yahoo by paying out pre-IPO stock the same way Google was coerced into giving Yahoo 2.7 million shares in patent settlement before the Search Giants 2004 IPO. Wow. So this is not the first time they've done this. No. It's, it's just like they wait for the opportune time to come in <laughs> and they, like, go for the for the killing blow. Exactly. Um, what that means by that pre-IPO, we've, we've talked the past couple of weeks again mm-hmm. about the IP, you know public IPO coming out for mm-hmm. all these rich folks. And now they're saying that one of the ways that if 
Yahoo pushes this and says, if you don't settle with us, this may be a way to settle with us. Um, before anybody can get these public IPOs, they're going to be forced to pay them pay those IPOs you know, Yahoo, as a settlement. Yahoo can make an awful lot of money on that. Yeah. Because it, let's say, hypothetically, uh, Facebook sells their stock for 30 bucks. Mm-hmm. You know the first day at least. Yeah. That's going to double, maybe yep. triple. Yep. And if Yahoo can get a hold of $30 price ones, then they've made tons of profit. Although I'm sure they feel justified because they're using their patents, but it's very convenient. Yeah, it's just some of the patents that they're they're talking about them infringing upon. Um, uh, paid search that Facebook may be vi- violating through its deal with Microsoft Bing. Mm. And social networking patents that could apply to core parts of Facebook's business. Uh, Yahoo has held these patents defensively for years as a uh, deterrent to trolling by other patent holders. But Facebook is a young company with a robust portfolio, without a, re- re- without a robust portfolio, sorry, mm-hmm. um, and with record buzz about its IPO, now might be the perfect time to shake down the social network. Wow, so. and truly a shakedown it is. That just seems very, very shady. <laughs> I mean... I, I guess Yahoo has to do whatever it can to stay in business, yeah. but that's very, very shady. Yeah, because apparently they've been pretty good as far as, you know, they're like it's saying they were allies. They were mm-hmm. doing a lot of stuff together, and now they're saying, and this is just, you know, come uh, there'll be more details. I'm sure we'll hit this up in a, right. again in a week or two uh, with more details, but I'm curious to see what they end up doing. Uh, I think they've just held on to them, waited for that time. Now the buzz is about these IPOs, and they're like, well, we're going to scoop know, up these two. I had, I mean, I was not aware, or if I remembered it, it went off my radar, but I was not aware that Yahoo had the same issue with, with Google when Google's IPO went. And so normally, if you'd have just told me this ahead of time, I'd have thought maybe it was a fluke. Yeah. But when they say the same thing happened with Google, mm-hmm. that's that's pretty bad. So yeah. it really yeah, shows I mean, a pattern. Yeah, and I mean, obviously Google's doing okay as far as with money and whatnot, mm-hmm. but it's interesting that. And Google paid, of, right? They paid two point seven million shares. And that was probably pre-IPO, it was so I'm pre, sure that it was before whew. the search giant's two thousand four IPO. Yahoo made some serious money off that, I'm sure. Yep, and they're about to make some more serious money. <laughs> through. Wow, so. man, they're making sure their hands are being being greased there. Wow, that's that is insane. Well, talking about somebody else who's uh, under fire, someone trying to say that they're doing stuff in their backyard. Uh, I don't know if many of you all have heard of this. I'm sure you have, but Apple has been slightly under attack by a Chinese company by the name of ProView Electronics. Now, in recent weeks, ProView Electronics has been trying to get um, all importing and sales of iPad devices inside of China stopped. Well, now ProView has gone ahead and leaped across the the globe, and they're now trying to bring up a lawsuit here in the U.S. So let me just talk for a second. Josh, are you even aware why there's a a lawsuit going on here, as why ProView is after Apple at all? Not really. I've never even heard of ProView. I haven't either. It it seems to stem from the fact that... um, trademarking a name you know coca-cola whatever name microsoft you you can go ahead and try to to get the name by the name i know at one point like when apple wanted to use iphone 
the person who actually owned iPhone, I believe, was Cisco. And so they oh, had wow. they had to make a deal with Cisco okay. to be able to get the name to use it. It's not necessarily the technology. It's not necessarily a patent, but it's the it's name. The, the trademarked name, right? Yeah, it's okay. the trademarked name. Well, over in China, ProView, this company, owned the iPad trademark name. What Apple ended up doing is Apple went ahead and used a third-party uh, intermediary, if you will. There was a shell company they created that was called IP Application Development Limited. And this company went into negotiation with ProView to buy the iPad trademark. They bought it for $55,000. Okay. Now, that's a very low amount. What ProView is yes. trying to say is if ProView would have known that Apple was actually the company wanting to buy that name, they would have asked for a lot more money. So yeah. they feel like they've kind of been taken for some money. That's what it sounds like. But in this particular article here, they talked to a guy named Ben Popper who uh, works over at a company called Venture Beats, and he says that when he used to buy lots of names and domains for big media companies, this is the exact same way they did it. It was not unheard of to go ahead and use uh, an intermediary to buy it because who's to say when they buy it that the company actually goes through and needs the product? So he says it's not uh, impossible to think about that. Plus, wouldn't it look kind of weird if Apple was asking to buy a name called iPad from a company? Apple's all about secrecy. Yeah. Everybody's watching what they're doing. It's in their best interest secrecy-wise, to mm -hmm. also have some third party buy the name for them. So that it all really stems from that to begin with. And so because of the iPad trademark, ProView got all ticked about it. ProView doesn't want um, them to be able to sell iPads in China. They didn't even uh, want them to be able to export iPads from China. And that would have really yeah, put a hampering on, seeing that. on poor Apple. But uh, they basically said that Apple acted with oppression, fraud, and malice. And so Apple's already fired back. They've defended their view by saying that ProView has refused to honor their agreement they have now because they did buy the name, mm -hmm. and ProView's still trying to put up a fuss about it. The stakes are quite high for both companies because Apple would lose uh, billions of bucks having to pay for the yeah. pay legitimately for the iPad trademark in China, and then ProView. Wouldn't you know it? Wonder why they want so much money? ProView just filed for bankruptcy. Wow. So this is kind of make or break for them. Now, they were previously, well, they still are. They're a monitoring company. They make monitors. Okay. They make, okay. So they probably were making some sort of tablet-style monitor that was going to be called an iPad. That's that's probably reasonable. But um, but basically, the idea is they only sold their name for $55,000. Yep. And now what they're wanting is $2 billion to make amends. And everyone knows Apple has a lot of money. Yeah. So everyone's going to come after them. You know, for for these type of claims, and so if if uh, if ProView wins, they're going to expect two billion because uh, they want to stay afloat. And so, really, the biggest worry I see with this is that ProView is trying to push and push the Chinese courts to go ahead and put a sales injunction on the iPad over there. At this point, the, the Chinese courts have rejected that request for a sales injunction, but they're going to have to go back to court February 29th for another big round of this, and I haven't seen the shakeout that's actually happened from that just yet. So it's quite possible something could happen, although I think it's, it's pretty unlikely. Um, so, I mean, the biggest worry is these people might try to stop them from being able to sell 
iPads legitimately. And I know that many of the stores were actually pulling them from the shelves. Yeah, yeah, I did just see in where case. they were pulling them. Yeah, so just in case. Didn't see the details. So um, it's not like not like last week when you talked about the iPhone stoves. Yeah. <laughs> these were these <laughs> a were a bit more legitimate. Yeah, right? legitimate stores pulling okay. those type of things. So. You've got a company who is a little bit ticked that they sold their prize name to a company and didn't get the amount of money they want, and they're conveniently going bankrupt. Which actually, <laughs> who's to say that maybe that's not the Yahoo situation too? Yeah. Maybe Yahoo was was hurting up for some money, and they're like, now is when we can go ahead and dig our claws into uh, Facebook. Yeah, I think they want to stay around a while. Yeah. Though I never hear anybody saying, "I'm going to go to Yahoo and look for this." Yeah, I mean, these days, of course, Microsoft makes Bing be your default place yeah. to go. Uh, so whether you want to or not, that's what it is by default. Yeah, yeah. I never see anything set it up for Yahoo-based. Yeah. All I see is on Facebook, some people have integrated in, like, Yahoo News things. Yeah, there's a reader or something you, like you that. You can see that. Yeah. So it seems like some people must go to Yahoo, but not me. Well, you mentioned um, earlier that uh, Apple was going to court at the end of February. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason why is because there was a um, Chinese patent court uh, lawsuit that they lost back in December, I believe. And mm. so that court ruling basically disallowed them from using the iPad trademark in China. So they're having to, that's why they're having to go. And oh, so they're having, to, they're having to pull all those. Yeah, they're having to pull all those. So they, they, they'll be in court at the end of February to hopefully overturn that lawsuit. So. Okay, well, I mean, hopefully. I yeah. mean, right now it's okay for us, but over there it's, yeah, it's in contention. Some, yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. Um, i got a couple of quick. These kind of go hand-in-hand uh, hand here. Apparently mm-hmm. Google, uh, first one here is Microsoft is saying Google is bypassing their Internet Explorer privacy controls. Really? Um, this article here says, uh, quote by Dean... Hakamovich, I believe is how you say it. Mm-hmm. Um, it says, we found that Google bypasses the P3P privacy protection feature in IE. Mm-hmm. Uh, the result is similar to the recent reports of Google's circumvention of privacy protections in Apple's Safari web browsers, even though the actual bypass mechanism Google uses is different. So what's going on is apparently Google um, is bypassing Microsoft's Internet Explorer mm-hmm. and um Apple's Safari browsers. I'd seen uh, that privacy settings. Um, it, I thought I thought the Safari one seemed to be more of like a, a mobile phone thing, but I, I didn't even think they were talking about actual PCs. But definitely, if, if they're doing IE, that must be on the PC too. Yeah, it says um, Google and other advertising companies have reportedly been sneaking past privacy settings on Apple's Safari browser, tracking the online habits of millions of iPhone and Mac users with a secret code. Wow. Safari, the most widely used browser on mobile devices, is supposed to block sending information by default, but a Stanford researcher spotted the code and a separate consultant confirmed its existence, according to the Wall Street Journal. Wow. So that's the Safari one and Microsoft. Um, just a, another researcher um, found just it, it just stumbled across it, too, and said that, you know, they're using the secret code and... And bypassing that, so they're wow. gaining that information. You know, I know we keep on having a bunch of a bunch of Google uh, things. We we really don't hate Google, but it just it seems to be the eye of the storm right now for Google on all kinds of controversy. Yeah, they. I mean, they're they're bringing it upon themselves at this point. I mean, I use Google every day, quite a bit, and but now they're you know going around these uh, side trying to sidestep stuff and uh, you know get in here and. And get this information for their ads and all that kind of services. So, 
I guess the the almighty dollar is is what it's coming down to. So. So at this point, let's go ahead and jump on to our interview with uh, Professor Rhonda Scragg, talking about the internship program as well as our Excel class we offer here, IT150. Today we're joined by Rhonda Scragg, who is a professor here at Mount West Community Nintendo College, and she's going to talk to us about the IT150 course she teaches, which is Excel-based, as well as the IT299 course, which is our internship course that you have to take kind of as a capstone before you graduate. Uh, so first, Rhonda. Hi, hi, Patrick. Hi, how's it going? Great. Good to be here with you. I have a couple questions about the Excel course. We offer a, an introductory course called IT101, which gives the students uh, a little bit of a taste of Excel, maybe with some simple formulas, some sum functions. I'd like to know about what are the more advanced areas that your Excel class delves into and, and maybe applications those would have in a work environment. Patrick, the IT150 application to spreadsheets, which we currently teach it as the Excel class, uh -huh. uh, concentrates on the parts of Excel that are the problem-solving parts of Excel. We like to think of it as giving the students another addition to their toolbox that they're going to use to be solving problems. And in the IT150, we concentrate on the spreadsheet part of Excel, which, as you mentioned, the formulas, the functions, the use of absolute cell references to create very efficient spreadsheets that are easy to change and uh, allow the students in their professional careers to develop spreadsheets that can play the what-if game, be data analysis. And we also cover the part of Excel that allows you to then take that spreadsheet and develop from that spreadsheet a graph or a chart, uh, which are often very effective in PowerPoint presentations. And because Excel and uh, Word and PowerPoint can be integrated, anything that you develop in Excel, whether it's a spreadsheet or a graph from that spreadsheet, can then be integrated into your PowerPoint presentation or your Word document. And then in the last part of the semester uh, in which we teach this class, we concentrate on the what most people call the database part of Excel. Even though Excel is not the considered to be the database part of Microsoft Office, Access is, there is the capability in Excel to develop uh, tables and to filter those tables to find information, to develop pivot tables from uh, those tables that give you specific statistics about certain information on the table, and then also allow you to develop graphs or charts of the information on a table. So what we hope to do by the end of the semester is not only uh, uh, allow the student to have exposure to enough information to hopefully pass the certification test in Excel, but also to certainly add to their toolbox of their problem-solving capabilities this tool of Excel, which is so valuable in the business world today. Okay, you mentioned, you mentioned pivot tables, and I am... I've heard of it, but I'm completely clueless as to that. Mm -hmm. Could you maybe, um, there may be people who are listening to this that are also clueless to what a pivot table, what its advantages could be in business. Could you give us an example of that? Sure. Maybe? Let me give you an example from uh, the academic side. Um, we uh, have a 
have a database here at Mount West Community College that includes all of the current students, all of the full-time students, all of our part-time students, all of the personal information about those students, their gender, uh, the major that they've chosen, what their address is, how many credit hours they have currently completed, the courses they've taken, the grade in each course, and also their current GPA. So if for any reason I needed to compare the average GPA of all of the female students who have completed 30 or less credit hours, and then compare that to the average GPA for all the male students who have completed less than 30 hours, I could do that very easily with a pivot table with a matter of just a few clicks of the mouse button. Uh, we, you could develop a chart that would show you that information both in a visual manner, in a graphics presentation, or just as a report, as a pivot table. And uh, for many instances, this kind of information is important. This kind of research is important if we are uh, completing grant applications or if we just merely need some statistics about our students. And this could be applied to the business world on every level as far as customers are concerned or products produced are concerned, any kind of statistics that we need to draw on only certain records pertaining to our table, we can do that with a pivot table. I know I've played around with, uh, with Access some, but Access does not have nearly the capability to do nice charts. That's what you can do exactly. in Excel. So that way a picture's worth a thousand words. Exactly. And it may be corny, but it's true. A picture is worth a thousand words, and it certainly is a lot more effective to look at that picture and visually do the comparisons rather than look at a big table with lots of values on it that really don't mean too much to us. And if we can see a picture of it and actually compare the size of a, uh, of a bar or the size of a slice of a pie, it's a lot more effective um, both in uh, PowerPoint presentations and in Word documents. Well, great. <clears throat> One thing that I'll just mention is uh, I know at least in the, in the Microsoft side of things, and probably in the Cisco as well, there's a lot of computer inventorying that has to be done. And at least in that area, Excel is, is the go-to product that we end up using a lot for that because you can go ahead and create yourself a table, well, a spreadsheet, uh, tab, worksheet, mm -hmm. if you will, of all the data that you need. And then it's easy, easy to go ahead and sort that based on the field names you've given or the column names you've given. So that's definitely something that a, a network technician, either on the Microsoft side or the Cisco side, would probably be exposed to uh, as well. So Excel is definitely a tool that you need to know about before you leave because you're going to see it everywhere. The main difference between the spreadsheet and the table capabilities of Excel are with the table, um, even though they're organized in the same manner as a spreadsheet in the column and row format, and all of the capabilities that we have in spreadsheets, we still have when we're dealing with tables. With tables, we can sort, as you said, mm -hmm. we can filter those tables, and we can develop these pivot tables. Okay. And the, uh, the great part about it is once students have been exposed to the spreadsheet part of Excel, then understanding the table part of Excel comes very naturally because it's just a natural extension of the spreadsheets. And we have found, uh, and you know this, Patrick, that the um, advisory committees for all of our programs are very, very important to us, and we rely on the members of our advisory committee to give us advice 
um, about what we should have in our programs and the skills and the training that we should be giving our students. And at most of our advisory committee meetings, the members of that committee mentioned that Excel is a very employable skill for our graduates to have. Certainly not just limited to the IT field, but that any student who is going to be working in any kind of a business environment needs to be at least have the familiarity with Excel. A lot of my Excel students also use uh, particularly the spreadsheet part of Excel um, on personal basis, either keeping track of recipes or keeping track of their home budgets. So it is a very, very problem solution oriented program that we emphasize greatly in our program and want the students to realize that this can help them get their foot in the door and get that first job. Mm -hmm. Well, great. And actually, you mentioned our advisory committee meeting, so that's going to kind of be my transition into our, our next area. We do have an advisory council that we use that's made up of uh, people from industry around the Huntington, Charleston area, surrounding areas for us, and they kind of advise us on what they expect our students to have skill-wise. If they feel we're lacking in an area, they let us know so we can course correct. And a lot of that, I feel, is information you feed directly back into the internship program. So right. if you would tell us a little bit about the, uh, the internship class that we have here. Sure. Uh, IT299, which is the internship class, is a class that students who are in their last semester take and what we try to do is to place them in real-world jobs, in the real-world work environment, so that they have the capability to apply that knowledge and training that they have achieved over the past uh, three semesters and apply that to a real-world application. This is one place that our advisory committee members are extremely important because they, they allow us to place our students in intern positions at their businesses. And that way they not only uh, can give our students advice and the capability to apply their knowledge and their training, but also they can give us feedback on the strengths of these students and the weaknesses of these students. So it's a, an excellent way for us to assess the quality of our graduates. And we're very happy to say that in a lot of these instances, these internship positions turn into full-time jobs for our graduates who not only get employed, but also then are promoted on the job. And it, it really turns into a symbiotic relationship where the graduates then uh, pay it forward by taking our future graduates on board and allowing them to do internships. So this is one of the best things that we do as a college, and it certainly uh, depends on all the faculty members giving the students as much training and skill and advice as they possibly can, and then putting them in the right spot so that it works out well, both for the employer and for our uh, student who will become a graduate. Now, I know that all of our requirements can change, and so the, the numbers, if we talk about them here, are not necessarily going to be the numbers that a particular potential student would have when they come in, but right now, am I correct that the number of, of hours that a student has to work is 240? Right. Um, we uh, expect them to do 240 hours of actual on-the-job experience uh, in order to get credit for this class. 
we feel like that that is a, a number that allows them to not only uh, learn, but to actually be a part of the culture of the workplace so that they can see how it's going to be when they are no longer a student at a community college, but they're actually a member of the IT workforce and, and how that culture works and how they can use the interpersonal skills that they have developed during their college career to be a success on the job. So 240 hours might be a little daunting in the middle of a semester. So is it a recommendation that people, even though they're not taking the internship class this particular semester, to maybe go ahead and see you? Because even the job placement side, we need to go ahead and find a particular employer who has a spot, get schedules aligned, all that. So is it is it good Absolutely. to go ahead Absolutely. Um, I always encourage students and and certainly encourage the faculty to encourage their students to come see me, even if it's uh, even their first semester that they're here. And that way I can develop a relationship with them, know them, so that when they are in the internship class, I have a good idea about where their skills and their personalities will best fit in the business world. Uh, it is very disheartening to uh, wait until the first day of class, of the internship class of that last semester before a student graduates, and they have no idea about what the internship entails or where they might be uh, placed in an internship position. Sometimes it takes a week or two to get that person in their spot, a spot that matches, and um, that can make it difficult to get the 240 hours in. But we do have a, a spring break in the spring semester, fall break in the fall semester. They could work 40 hours a week in either one of those times. Uh, so after they get the job, it is normally not too difficult to get the 240 hours uh, uh, completed before the end of the semester. Okay. And then, and then another requirement, we have another big requirement, which I think is, is a strength for our students that we have, is not only, well, you might expect them to walk out of there with a resume, but in our case, we have them do something called the general education portfolio. Will you talk a little bit about what that is? Yes, the general education portfolio is not only a requirement for graduation at Mount West Community and Technical College, but it also is a, another asset that our students can take with them when they graduate to give to that prospective employer in a job interview and say, here's a portfolio of some of the uh, artifacts that I have developed during the course of my college career. And these general education artifacts will verify that our students as graduates have accomplished, have achieved six specific general education portfolios portfolio learning outcomes, um, having to do with written communication, oral communication, uh, problem solving, critical thinking skills, using technology competently, and the concepts of ethics and diversity. The general education portfolio is an accumulation of at least six artifacts which are assignments, tests, uh, written papers, oral presentations that the student has completed during their college career that apply to each one of these six specific fields, each one of these six specific learning outcomes. They also complete a reflection paper which reflects on their feelings of how this artifact, how this assignment 
how this paper or this written oral presentation actually achieved that general education learning outcome. And I have had students who have come back to me after graduation and said that the general education uh, portfolio that they took with them to a job interview really impressed the uh, prospective employer and in some instances was the reason that they got the job because they proved that they were a well-rounded individual. They not only had the technical skills, but they also had the soft skills of communication, problem solving, mathematical computation understanding to be that well-rounded employee that most employers are looking for today. Well, I know one thing that I, I constantly tell, tell my students, and, and it, it, um, it's more reflective in the, in the particular degrees we have. For example, an animation and game developer one that was talked about in episode one, it's going to be so much better to be able to walk into an employer besides, besides just saying, yes, I got a degree from Mount West. Uh, if, if there's some place in California, they may have no idea who Mount West is. That's, that's not a local place for them. But if they can walk in and say, I have a degree, and look, here's actual games I've made, here's artwork I've done. If they can show and give a touch of their own information to that, that can do so much more because now it's not, oh, I had to create this because everyone did it. It was an assignment. It's This is a personal touch on what I've actually done. Right. It, it, the the portfolio, portfolio is a very individualized uh, document, and it's very similar to an artist's portfolio or a photographer's portfolio or a model's portfolio where they have their best headshots. Um, this portfolio should include the student's best work so that when they present it, just as you said, it will be something that will show their creativity, will show their individualized uh, training and how they have applied that, how they have applied that training to the individual classes that they've taken. So it really has, in, in, certainly in the IT department, turned out to be a real help to the students as far as getting a job. And basically that's our mission, Patrick, you know that. Um, the, the mission of the Community and Technical College and certainly of the IT department is to get the students jobs, to give them the skills, the knowledge, the soft skills, and all the advice that we can in order to not only allow them to get that first job, to be employable, but also to be promotable after they get the job. Yeah, and um, one, one extra little thing I just want to throw in here. Um, for, for anybody who's going to our website, uh, I've said before, but if you go to our website, you have the ability off of the, the top menu option to go and look at our programs of study. One thing they might find to be a little confusing, a little different, is the fact that in our animation and game developer option that we have, we do IT-298, which is really the exact same course as the IT-299, um, but if I... If I'm correct, we, we went that route because as the student immediately comes in, we want them to start collecting all of that uh, programming that we do, all that flash gaming. We want to make sure that they start grabbing that and building as they go because the animation students have the potential to make a very slick, very polished electronic portfolio that maybe my uh, network administration students won't necessarily have the skills to make. Right. 
the uh, IT298, which is sp specifically for the gaming and animation students, is a class that they take every semester. We are still uh, uh, very strongly concentrating on the general education portfolio, but for the gaming and animation students, it is an electronic portfolio because these gaming and animation students have to be technical enough to have an electronic portfolio and certainly their prospective employers or the people that are con going to contract with them to develop games and animation and simulation are going to expect in that case an electronic portfolio. Also with the gaming and animation students as part of their internship we would like to and we, we have already started this we would like to uh, have those students be involved with other faculty members maybe in possibly other divisions of the college in developing simulations and uh, games that could be used as enhancements to online courses. We have four students now who are working with some allied health fac faculty in developing a simulation uh, to enhance their online courses and we see a huge need for this in the future with the possibility of the traditional textbook being a thing of the past and students from elementary school to uh, higher education using their iPads as their textbook, there's going to be a tremendous need for these enhancements to online classes and enhancements to the virtual textbooks that we hope our gaming and animation students are receiving the skills and the knowledge and the training in order to play a big role in that future development of education. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Rhonda, for going thank ahead you, Patrick. and uh, illuminating um, IT 150 applications to spreadsheets, as well as the IT 298 and 299 class for us today. Thank you very much, Patrick. Okay. Hope you all enjoyed that interview. Um, I, I think you really see there's a lot of information you get out of having an internship. Also, there's a lot of good, good, important things you get out of having yourself some sort of portfolio you could take to uh, to a potential um, work place you want to work and be able to show them all of your own documents you've made. Mm -hmm. It's so much better than just taking a straight up certification. Don't get me wrong; they all want certifications, but. Being able to show work that was written in your own voice, uh, designs you've made, this just proves this is what you can actually do. And I also hope that if you don't know a lot about Excel, that you do see that it can be touched upon on many of the different areas of an IT technician's life. So if you're not familiar with it, you really ought to go ahead and learn more about it because it's a very invaluable tool that a lot of, uh, a lot of people out there in the industry want to make sure you know how to use. Mm -hmm. So uh, just a reminder, if you have any comments or feedback for us or you have an article that you think would be great for us to talk about, please go ahead and send those to us. Our Twitter account is TalkOnTechMCTC. But that's all we've got for you here today. So um, for this week, I am Patrick Smith. And I'm Josh Joseph. Have a great week.